would be terrified of the Holy of Holies. And, and yet we're not terrified of communion. And that tells me that our theology is so off. We almost look at this New Testament time that we're in as a shadow of the Old Testament. Well, hello, friends, and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. It's Jason Ballard here, and today we get to sit down with Francis Chan. Many of you will have read Francis Chan's books, maybe heard one of his message or a conversation like this. He is a pastor and a leader and a prophetic voice in the church. And there are a few people, I don't know if there's anyone, whose writings convict my heart and leave me longing to serve and follow Jesus in such a sincere way. I mean, that's what stood out so much from the conversation we get to jump into today is Francis has this deep passion to honor God and take his word seriously. And it's convicting, it's confronting, um, and yet it's full of hope and it's life-giving. So I'm excited for you to be able to listen into the conversation we had. This is the last episode in a series we've done as we look at the Connected Generation Research Report. And the Connected Generation is a research project from Barna, which was commissioned by World Vision. It's an important research project for pastors in Canada for a few reasons. First, it looks specifically at 18 to 35-year-olds and explores their view of faith and leadership in the church. It was first done as a global study in 2019, but the team at World Vision Canada worked with Barna to do new research this past year. And so what's profound about what we see in this report is we get to see the shifts in response from pre-pandemic to now. The report is insightful and meaningful. And each week we've looked at a few pieces of data from the report, but I want to encourage you to grab the whole report. It's free to download. You can find the link in the show notes and on our website. And when it comes to this kind of research, let's hold it in the right kind of context. Like I love what David Kinnaman at Barna always says. He says, we don't want to be data driven, but we want to be data informed as we seek the Lord and pray over how to reach people and make disciples. And so our hope in partnering with Rural Vision to present this to you is that it could be a tool for you and your team as you pray and plan for the year ahead, as you partner together to reach people and make disciples, which is what we're in it for. And a quick note before we jump into the interview, we launched the CCLN Church Leaders Incubator this fall. Uh, for those that don't know, it's a two-year program for young pastors to strengthen their leadership for effective, long-term, Jesus-centered pastoral ministry. And we had a number of great applicants this year. We're able to accept 17 pastors from across the country, from Vancouver to Atlantic Canada. And this week, we're gathering in person for the very first time. And so I want to ask you to do something for us as the greater CCLN community. Would you take some time to pray for our team and for these pastors who have signed up for this program? You know, our goal for each person involved would be that they grow deeper in Jesus, grow in character, confidence in their calling and the craft of pastoral leadership. And so would you take a moment and pray that God would work powerfully in our time together and throughout the whole program. And if you want to find out more about the Church Leaders Incubator, you can find out more on ccln.ca. Thank you so much for journeying with us. And let's jump into today's conversation with Francis Chan. Well, Francis, it is really an honor uh, it feels so special that you would take time to be with us. And I thought maybe just to start, because you're a hard guy to like, you're like a little bit like Carmen Sandiego, where in the world are you? I thought maybe you could just give us a window into your life. I don't know, like some of the ministry, yeah. family, geographically, even where you are, just give us a little window in. Yeah, we're we're in the San Francisco area. We're back here. Uh, some of you may know we left for Hong Kong, uh, gosh, 
little over a year ago, not longer than that, almost two years ago. But anyways, um, we uh, our visa couldn't get renewed. We had all sorts of issues. So we had to come back to the U.S. And we were super sad about that because we were loving Hong Kong. Um, there was uh, my wife and I, six of our children, two son-in-laws, two grandkids. We we're all in Hong Kong oh, together, beautiful. just, you know, planted some churches out there and then had to come back here. But now crazy things are just starting to happen here. And I'm finally going, okay, now I understand why God has us back here. Um, these last few weeks, even mm. it's, it's just been powerful. It's just been good. Wow. Um, it is such a special thing to think about moving with like son-in-law, grandkids. Yeah. Like that's a pretty special, yeah, it just seems so unique to be able to do mission as a family like that. No, it's it's like nothing I ever dreamt of. And and it's weird because we didn't even invite our married children. <laughs> they just prayed and felt like God was saying, we're supposed to go with you. And so then, you know, my wife just starts crying, you know, just blown away. Like, God, who gets to take a family of 12, you mm. know, overseas and move there and just figure it out from there? Like, that's such a mm. blessing. I never even dared to imagine something like that back when I, you know, first fell in love with Jesus. So it's mm. it's been a rush. Beautiful. And then what are some of the ministry things here or life things here that most are filling your imagination and are bring the most excitement right now? Yeah, I mean, right now, just outside, we've got like 80 young people that are all headed into ministry and we're training them for a couple months and we're uh, trying to mobilize them. Um, the city I live in is actually uh, Fremont, California, and Fremont has the highest concentration of Afghans, um, uh, people from Afghanistan outside of Afghanistan itself. So we've got tens of thousands of them, and then refugees will be coming and you know, with everything that's going on and thinking, man, how can we love on them? How can we care for them? How can we show them the love of Christ? And so how do I mobilize this army and, and what do we do? And how do I train up these young people for a lifetime of ministry? Um, because they've all kind of went through the YWAM, DTS, high of, man, I was on a mission. And, and what so often happens is that becomes a peak in life. And then it's all downhill from there. Now I got to settle down, get married, get a job, have kids and less and less to the kingdom. And I'm trying to train these guys up. Go, No, it doesn't have to be that way. I, I'm actually doing more as a married man. And, mm. and now with all of my children, we're able to be an, an absolute army for the kingdom. It's not about huddling up and just focusing on your family, but really focusing on the wow. world and introducing them to to people who work jobs, you know, mm. and, and actually are killing it in their workplace, excellent in what they do, and, and yet they are 100% missional and all about eternal things. And so trying to guide them into mm. this lifestyle where the church is actually alive and vibrant and not just a place you go to to listen to a sermon. And uh, I, I'm, just, I'm just pumped. I'm pumped mm. about raising up this next generation. A lot of important energy and conversation is going to the question of how do we raise up the next generation of ministers? Like on a very practical level, 
there's like a, a practical need, like boomers retiring, new generation taking it. But then on a spiritual level, I mean, that's always been the task, right, of yeah. empowering the next generation of missionary disciples. And just curious, because one of the things I want to chat about with you for a little bit, if you're up for it, is looking at, you know, your few decades of ministry and thinking how maybe have some things changed over that time. And I wonder even just reflecting specifically on this idea of like raising up church planners or raising up disciples and you're doing training, like what is, what are you feeling? Like, how do you, how are you designing training for disciples and pastors now that might've been different than even a decade or two before? Yeah, it, it's way different than when I started. You know, when I started, everyone was dreaming about the mega church and, you know, how do we get, you know, be cool and, you know, look right and, you know, attract people by, you know, famous people coming in, whatever, you know, that whole model of things. And now we're just in a time where uh, people really aren't looking for that. They're mm-hmm. not trying to find a church that looks a lot like their world. They actually want to experience God himself mm-hmm. and they want to meet people who actually live differently and so, so much of my training is, is, is discipleship based and it's not just a classroom, but it's, it's introducing them, um, to people who live radically. Um, it's not people that just have a lot of head knowledge about the Bible. And so when I, when I, you know, decide to become a pastor, you know, I go to a school that just educates me on the Bible and that's mm-hmm. great. That's wonderful. You, you can never get too much Bible. I don't think, well, maybe you can. Okay. Cause you don't have time for other stuff, but I, but we weren't concerned about the lifestyles of the teachers, mm. you know, like Hebrews 13 talks about, um, you know, honoring your leaders and considering the outcome of their way of life and imitating their faith. Mm. So there was something about the faith of the leaderships, were, were, leadership people. Were they living by faith in such a way like, I want to be like that guy rather than I want to know everything that's in his head. It's like looking at their lifestyles. And so we have guys that are working at Google and Facebook or, or that own just large, you know, developments of land and excellent in the workplace, but are very eternally minded. And I want them around them. I, I want people whose kids are actually on the campus making a difference and, and, and husbands and wives working together, doing crazy things for the kingdom and not, not just guys that are paid by the church, you know, to sit in an office and, and put together a sermon, you know, which is a good thing. But I, I just think we get a lot of that. Let me introduce you to people that have done some pretty wild things with their lives and have actually increased in faith rather than I was radical at 21 and now uh, I'm a good teacher. Um, so it's, it's more life on life and ask these moms how they did it when they were raising babies and how they were involved yeah. in discipling other people and, and, and let them tell you stories about the crazy things they just went through. Um, so that's, that's more of the way to me of raising this next generation. Um, it's, it's more about lifestyle and for us to look, I, even before these young people came, I'm, I'm speaking to our church and going, are you sure we want uh, to expose these people to your life? Um, is there any radical element of it? Or have you compromised and been playing it safe? Because, uh, 
that's not what I want to show these young people. Hmm. I have this um, memory. I don't know if you remember visiting Vancouver, um, but you popped up for a Canada Day worship service, like unity event. Um, uh, and in the back room, you were there talking with the worship band. And uh, I'll just never forget it. You said like, hey, uh, we're about to go to war together. And like, I, we're going to be, we need to be unified. And just if, if there's something like, <laughs> I don't want to put words in your mouth. Um, oh, totally I hidden. That. But something totally hidden or just don't worry about it. We can play without drums. Or like you weren't calling out the drummer or whatever, but you were like, listen, like we just don't want to go into this just too, so casually. And um, I don't know if anyone sat back, but I just remember as a young pastor going, Lord, I don't want to be so flippant about the work. And so you called, there's a unity that called one another to like a purity. And then I remember you spoke um, that night to this, the Broadhurst, thousands of people, tons of churches from Vancouver, celebrating the unity, but also calling to unity. Um, and I know that's been like a really deep conviction over the last number of years for you. This, what is this well, to yeah, explore this theme of unity? I wonder if you give me a window into your heart. I don't know if you remember that event at all, but. I <laughs> do. After you said it, I remembered it. Because uh, I, I remember talking about, I had just read the story of Aiken. And yes, how yes. because of his sin, like everyone got slaughtered. You know, all these people died over this one guy's sin. And so that that's, I think, the passage I went to that day and just telling that worship team, like, hey, don't, don't screw this thing up for us. No one knows if the bass player is not there. You, you know, like, I don't even hear the bass. Sound. You know, it's just, it's just, just, just sit out. Like there's something yeah. spiritual happening. You could kill this thing. Yeah, and then uh, I loved the focus on unity. But to be honest, back then, I don't know that I cared that much mm. about unity. I did, obviously, it's in the Bible, but I didn't understand how important it was in the mind of God mm. and how critical it was in order to change the world. Obviously, I had some understanding and I could speak to it. I'm just saying I'm at a completely different level on that now mm. where I'm going, wow, this is what grieves the Holy Spirit of God. The division in the church is grieving God himself. This is his desire. And he says, this is the way we reach the world. And so while I've always been for unity, except maybe in seminary, because we were a very divisive seminary, but before that and after that, unity has been very important to me. Um, but now it's just at another level. As I dig into the New Testament more and more, hmm. I realize this is not just a cute little theme of, oh, can we all get along? It's... It's critical. I don't know how we are going to have any impact on the world without unity. And so we might as well just give up. If we're not eager to maintain the unity of the faith and you're happy just having your little church and doing your thing there, then just, just don't even bother. We're not going to impact the world until we get this thing figured out. Can you take us deeper into that heart? Like, whether, whether it's just trying to put imagination to it. Like I'm trying, I think it's even hard to imagine, like what is a unified church 
in a city like Vancouver, which is one of the most underchurched cities in, in all of North America, but there's tons of them. You know what I mean? We're still like, you know, there's still tons of church. What does that look like there? And then even on a micro level, yeah. like, what does that look like yeah. in our day-to-day lives? I, I mean, we can't, we can't start on the macro. And I think that's, that's part of the problem with this generation, myself included in that, is you see that opportunity, like maybe I can make a video and unite the whole church. Um, maybe I can write a book and change everything. And, it, you know, and that, that gets in my head and I throw my shot at it. But that's, that's, that's really not how it mm. should start. It is really about most of us are struggling just to get our own churches together mm. and unified. And you have all of these young people very, very opinionated. And, and how do we get them to maybe not believe everything that they think and, and, and maybe consider that, 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 that you could actually acquire truth better by being part of a body and coming under leadership and uh, that, that your best shot in understanding truth is not by just sitting in a room by yourself with the mm-hmm. Bible, um, but it's actually in unity with other brothers and sisters and, and, and teaching those things, but, but living it out in a deep, deep love for one another. Because like in uh, 1 John uh, 4, verse 12, uh, it says, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Mm. So there's something about, okay, none of us have actually vis- visibly seen him, you know, face to face. But he does say that if we love one another, if, if, if the love, the command to love one another, it, it actually is obeyed, then God's going to actually abide in us and his love is going to be perfected. In us. So, so they can't see him. We, mm-hmm. we can't just say, hey, you guys look up into heaven. God's going to reveal himself to you. But our chance at people seeing God is through the unity, our love for one another. And so if people aren't interested in that, mm-hmm. we have to be strong enough to say, okay, well, we'll go, you know, that's that's what we're doing here mm-hmm. because we want people to see God and they're going to see him through our intense love for one another. And so if you're going to gossip, if you're going to be, you know, angry about this and this, 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 I mean, no offense, but please, we... we we can't have you here. Hmm. Um, we want to see God. We want to actually be here in the presence of God and experience him in a real way. And that is contingent on our love for one another. Um, and I have more to say. I, can I keep going? You keep going. Okay. Keep going. Be, because here's a passage that I think is the key to unity. Um. And I know this can be weird for some of you, but I need a couple minutes to explain this. Take your time. Um, okay. I'm settled in. I've got my coffee okay. here. I don't know I'm if you're one of those enjoying. interviewers that needs to jump in every 30 seconds. No, yeah. I, you're making my life way easier. I came. <laughs> okay. This is what I came for. Okay. Take a nap because I want to go off on this. Okay. <laughs> First Corinthians. This is the passage. First Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 27. 
Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and sick and some have died. Okay, this is New Testament and God is telling people, Paul is explaining to the Corinthians, some of your people died because they did not take the bread and cup in the right way. Some of you are weak, you're sick because you did not do this in a worthy manner. Okay, right now, I don't know what it's like in Canada, but you know, being in San Francisco, people are obsessed with COVID, um, terrified of COVID. And you, you know, you can't eat unless you're vaccinated. You know, it's, it's, it's intense. And I'm not arguing that. I'm saying yes, because there's something real going on and people are dying. But that is so real to us. First Corinthians 11, 27 to 30 is not real to us. We have pastors mm. that are going, okay, we better social distance, better do this, 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 this. But I'm saying, When's the last time you led communion with the fear that someone's going to die today? I could have a lot of my people die today. It's like going into the holy of holies. Okay, but even in a more extreme way, because the holy of holies is a shadow. Hebrews 8.5 says that was a shadow. We would be terrified of the holy of holies. And, and yet we're not terrified of communion. And that tells me that our theology is so off. We almost look at this New Testament time that we're in as a shadow of the Old Testament. When Hebrews goes, no, th- that was nothing. Hmm. So that Holy of Holies was nothing. You're about to, you know, in, in Hebrews 10, he says, now you're about to enter into the throne room, the most holy place through the curtain, which is the flesh of Jesus that was torn for you. So now I'm not just going into a curtain to see the ark and the cloud and God's presence, which would terrify me being in that room with the cloud, you know, on the mercy seat and go, I'm in a room with God. He says, New Testament's more intense because now you're going to the throne room through the bread, which is the broken body of Christ. Hmm. And now you're really, you're going into the actual real place. That's where our high priest is. This is, this is next level stuff. And the fact that we kind of read this, go, yeah, yeah, it's, you know, yeah, you could die. People don't even read this passage. And, and the reason I say this is what could bring us together is this as anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body. Now, that could mean the actual bread and cup and, you know, and I, I believe that there's a meaning in that. But if you look at the context of 1 Corinthians 11, it's about division. 
And it's about hierarchies of who's more important than who. Oh, this person's more intelligent or this person, you know, is more gifted or this, this, this. And Paul says in verse 20, he goes, that's not the Lord's Supper you guys are eating. Don't even call it that. In fact, that's why some of you have died because you so disrespected it. I, I believe it's a time where we can, I believe God is calling the church to put the bread and the cup central again hmm. and to, to really examine, do I have anything against you? Because I am about to enter into the presence of God. This is deeper than the Holy of Holies. I'm about to eat his flesh, drink his blood, and this could kill me. It killed people back then. And I'm going, God, why hasn't it killed more people today? And I wonder if it's just his grace on us that so many of us are oblivious to what the word of God says. People like me have read it and not taken it seriously. But mm. now that I'm making our church aware, I go, we're accountable for this now. And we we better be careful and we better make sure there's no bitterness in this room. There's no hierarchy. And I'm not looking at other brothers and sisters um, who may be walking into a building that's labeled Lutheran or Baptist or Anglican and going, oh, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're not one of us. You know, I better be very careful and recognize the body mm. of the Lord because I don't want to eat and drink judgment upon myself. Mm. And yet it would be my thrill Okay, as terrifying as it would be to walk into the Holy of Holies behind the curtain, you know that would be the most intense thrill of your existence to see the glory cloud appear at the mercy seat and be in the room with Almighty God in a greater, thicker presence than you were. I mean, God was with the high priest before he walked in there, but when he walked in there, it was like another level. And in the same way, this gathering at the table was meant to be us going in there together with deep, deep love, eating of the bread, drinking of the cup, mm. and having this communion and this presence of Christ there like no other, other way on earth that we could experience him. And so while the fear is there, uh, the thrill of it, um, you know, I, I mean, I, I love communion now. I cannot wait to gather with other believers that, that see the significance and the sacredness of this. And it's like, wow, we're about to walk into the Holy of Holies times 10 in a few minutes here together. Let's do this with reverence. Let's experience him. Dude, that is mm. so much better than uh, you know, I've never heard you preach, but I trust me, it's better. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine it's that great. You, you know, like we, we have so many people that are obsessed with, oh, I can't wait till he preaches. I want, I'm going to drive, you know, 50 miles to hear that guy preach and that band lead worship. And I'm like, really? Hmm. Communion at the table where, where God, and I'm not saying that's the only place God meets. God is with me right now. God is with us right now, but he is with Moses before he entered the tent of meeting. He is with the mm -hmm. high priest before he entered in the Holy of Holies. But when he went there, there was a thicker presence. When Moses got to Mount Sinai with the fire and the lightning, 
man, there was a thicker presence. There was, it was more real. And that's what we have available. If we would take the Lord's Supper seriously, I guarantee you it's better than any service, any preaching, any worship experience. The unity at the, at the body and blood of Christ, I believe we need to get back to that. Hmm. Um, I, I believe, uh, one last thought and I'll let you talk. No, I don't, don't worry, dude. Keep going. <laughs> but it's, it's this thing where I'm just going, it was only 500 years ago that the, the communion, the, the, the Eucharist, whatever you want to call it, it was at the center all those years. And it was yeah. only 500 years ago that we moved it aside. A guy moved it aside and put his pulpit there. Wow. Wow. Okay. Zwingli did that for the first time, put a big wooden pulpit and moved communion to the side. And then we keep shoving it further, further, further and building bigger and bigger pulpits. And what happens is now we're, we're looking at, you know, the pulpit and going, okay, I like Zwingli's message. And suddenly Zwingli and Luther and Calvin, and now they're all divided on the bread and cup. And now whose pulpit am I going to go to? And now we've got thousands of pulpits. And, and which one are you going to go listen to? You know, whose podcast is it? Is, is, is the best. Who's this? Is, it's, it's all, why? Because we stopped staring at the body and blood of Jesus. We took him away from the center. Mm-hmm. And I've had to repent of this where there were Sundays. I'm like, ah, I didn't have, we don't have time for communion day. We got to get right. you guys out. We'll do it more next week. I just had that one last point in the sermon. I felt like it's so important, you know, and then pretty soon it's once a month, once a quarter here, just grab a little cup on your way out. And you're going, whoa, this is, we've made a mockery of mm. this. And we, we put the elements at the center now. And if we don't have time for me to preach, I don't preach. But we're not going to go without the body and blood of Jesus. And we want his presence central. Mm. And even when I preach, I'm preaching around the, the body and blood of Christ. Everything is centered on him. And so people come to be with him and experience him in a deeper way. And I, I, I believe that's, that's the key to unity is it's not about, is it my voice, your voice, or someone else's voice that's going to lead the church to unity? No, because then it just becomes a competition again of voices. It's can we get as reverent as we can around the body and blood of Christ and I believe something mysterious will happen in our souls that will draw us closer to him and to each other. Would you give us a window into how you lead, um, to borrow a word, like a, the liturgy of that? Or there's just, I, I just would love, like, it would just be such a gift to me. I'm just thinking, we, you know, at our church, we do commun- – we're a new church. We do it every week. And we felt that that push, though, of like, oh, like – we're experiencing the tension of it. Like people are coming that never been to church before. There's people who come from different backgrounds. We also feel the time. I, I was laughing as you're saying like, oh, there might not be time, but we're trying to put it in there. And um, I think we're longing to continue to ask the question, like what, what do we surround it with? What kind of language can we bring to it that can help facilitate to the furthest degree that a reverence like you described? And I feel like I'm on the very front edge of this journey. So it'd be a gift to me, I'm sure to a ton of listeners just to sort of walk us through what, how you lead that as the pastor. Yeah. I, I mean, I remember when I started uh, preaching and 
you know, a couple messages that people say, gosh, can unbelievers understand that? And should we worship so intensely, you know, mm-hmm. certain things maybe you shouldn't mention because there's unbelievers here. And so then you just, you, we became consumed with visitors and how to make them feel comfortable. Um, but if you look at the scriptures, it says that um, this is the way we proclaim the death of Christ until he returns. It's not by getting the best speaker to share the gospel. Mm. There's something about the actual breaking of the bread. That's what you see in Luke 24 when Jesus is on the road to Emmaus. Jesus was preaching to them the whole way there. And it wasn't until he broke the bread that their eyes were opened. There, there's something about that. It's not like he breaks bread differently than anyone else. You know, only Jesus could have ripped it that quickly. It, it wasn't that. It was just something in the breaking of bread. And I, I explained, I go, look, if you're visiting, here's a series. First of all, I'm so glad you're here. Okay, but we're about to do something that is so intense. And I've got to beg you not to take of it. Okay, but I'm mm. thrilled you're here because we want you to watch this. Um, <laughs> this is this is like this is our time to come together. And there is a way in which God ministers to us, the way in which his presence shows up to us. And I am so glad you're in this room. But I'm just I also want to give you this warning. Don't take of this. Um, and I mean, I don't do the exact same liturgy every week, sure. but those are the types of things that I explain that I explain the breaking of the bread. I explain the spilling of the blood and the cup and why we take of it because it, it shows them, wow, we believe we have access to him. Like, I don't believe you can just walk into his presence. You know, that's what, what Hebrews 10 is about. It's, no, it's only through the blood of Christ that we can go to him. We don't believe like we're these people that have the right to march before the throne of God like we're equals to him. This is the only way. Mm-hmm. And so it's in that is the proclamation, the warning um, to explain. And then in our prayers, um, you know, this cup that we bless, you know, First Corinthians talks about I, I tell our people because they come from so many different backgrounds. I say, look, um, again, for 1500 years, everyone believed there was some special presence of Christ. There were little, there were some discrepancies of people saying, no, it actually turns into flesh and blood. There are many who believe that. Um, but then we got to over define it to at this moment. No, at this moment. No, I have to say this. And then it happens. And, and I go, now we've been the very thing that was supposed to bring us together has now mm. splintered the church. And I, I think that's heartbreaking, mm-hmm. right? This was supposed to be the thing that brought us together. And so when I lead people in prayer, I said, look, I'm going to pray for this bread and this cup. And I'm going to pray humbly. And I'm telling you, as much as I study church history and as much as I'm studying the scriptures, I can't be sure exactly the right words. At least I'm not at that point right now. And so I humbly come before God and say, God, you alone, your thoughts are so much higher than mine. Your ways are so much higher than mine. 
And I, and I just say before everyone, I go, God, I don't know if you want this bread to turn into flesh, like the actual flesh of Jesus. If that's your will, then I want it. I don't know if this cup turns into blood, but I, obviously you can. The miracle is not you turning a piece of bread into flesh. That's easy. The miracle was the word becoming flesh. That's insane. How could the God who spoke the earth into existence be implanted into the womb of a virgin? Like, like how does that happen? That's, that's the mystery. But God, whatever you do with this bread and cup, as much as you want to do, I want it all. All I know is I want to commune with you. We want all of you that we can have. And so, Father, please bless this bread this cup from mm. heaven, however you do it, we surrender and we are just saying we want all of Christ and we are doing this in, mem- in mem- remembrance of him. And we believe that this is what you wanted and how you wanted us to proclaim your death until you return. And so that's that's kind of the prayer, you know, obviously not exact words, yeah. but the heart of it, the spirit of it, that we're calling people to become more sacred at the table because I think even those who have a set liturgy, um, while you may have held on to that liturgy, have you held on to the sacredness mm-hmm. and the fascination of it week after week? I think while we are all divided, even reformers are all divided in the, you know, the, 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 you know, more traditional churches are, are divided. I think we can all stand on common ground that we all agree there should be a greater degree of reverence around the table for all of our people. And can we just start there as a a starting point of, whoa, I didn't recognize the seriousness of Mm. the warning, the potential death, the potential encounter with God uh, Mm. at the Eucharist. And let's just let's just really humble ourselves and confess any superiority over another group of his children um, before we take up this bread and this cup. Mm. Do you make space in your gatherings as you're approaching the table for that one to another, um, whether it's repentance or reconciliation or prayer ministry or like, is there like, is there a, I'm just, I, I just want my, I'm trying to let the whole imagination of this play out in my head. Like, how do you make that kind of space for one another? Yeah, yeah. Like this week, we just, you know, had someone playing softly. I go, look, let's be careful. Like, one, you don't want to just rush in there, but you also don't want to not go there. I mean, that's crazy. This is our union, our, our yeah. moment with Jesus. And you're going to miss out on that because you're going to hold on to bitterness. Like, this is what causes us to fix our conflicts, um, to reconcile with people. It's like, you're not keeping me from that communion. Um, I, I gotta have this. And so we give them some space that maybe right then they need to confess some things. We'll have elders, leaders there, you know, like this past Sunday, say, if you need to just get some things right, need to talk it through with someone first, talk to them. Hmm. Um, but a lot of that, uh, we're trying to train the people that, this isn't like a two hour thing. The only time you use your gifts and the only time you fellowship, like this should be church doesn't end at the end of this. 
Um, this is a sort of climax, um, but we we use those gifts and we we make time to uh, encourage which one another with our spiritual gifts as well as confess our sins to one another. Um, we're trying to just make that everyday life, and this is just our our gathering for the for the Holy Communion that um, that we're doing. But the you know. For too long, we've just looked at, oh, yeah, I go to church for that hour and a half or however long it is. And we're just really trying to kill that mentality mm. in our people. Mm. Thanks for that window into your community and for sharing that. One of the things that I've found very interesting about your public journey of ministry, you know, I read Crazy Love and then I read Forgotten God and I followed along. Book on marriage and book on the church and just so grateful. And then... but. But one of the things that's been really special, and I just really want to honor you for this, is the way you've almost publicly allowed yourself to, to embrace a more expansive view of the church. And like some of us are following with you. And I remember it almost feels like, and I don't want to tell me if, if I have the narrative wrong, but it's like the way you've shared is often like key relationships have entered your life. You know, I've heard you share about IHOP and Mike Bickle and Andy Bird and going on trips. I remember at Alpha Conference, you talked about praying at what, what, in what seemed like more of a remote village and seeing the miraculous. And then you going, I can't now that leave that out of my view of God. And um, I just wonder if you could kind of like point to a few of those maybe relationships or moments in your journey over, because now you reflect on decades of ministry where mm. you get to take yes. with you now this new expansive view of God and his church and his work on earth. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's so many, there's just been a few times when, um, and, and again, understand this doesn't come natural in the flesh. Um, also understand that I was trained to be divisive and to train mm. to go, hey, stay away from them, stay away from them, stay from Our seminary, we prided ourselves on the fact that our graduates, anytime we took over a church, we would split it. And that was like a badge of honor to us. Because we, you know, we got rid of the people who don't really want to hear the word of God, you know, and I, I look back and go, now nah, they just didn't want to hear it from us, you know, with our attitude, you know, so I come from that background and, you know, where my theology is just clearly superior to everyone else's. Um, and I'm not saying theology doesn't matter either. I'm just saying uh, the Lord has humbled me and I've met spirit filled people where I look at their life and go, whoa, they, their lifestyle resembles that of Christ more than mine does. Um, I don't know what to do with that. I start speaking at different conferences of, you know, denominations that I had theological differences with. And I sincerely just found people that I loved. I go, gosh, I, everything in me, you know, is saying this is a brother or sister in Christ. Um, we disagree on some of these issues, but they're not the primary issues. And I can tell by their lifestyle and just the, they're spirit-filled people. And, but here's the thing, you know, we can, we can say, oh, this is great. You know, I want to be, I, I want to be friends with all these people. And, um, 
there's a price. <laughs> there's a price to be paid. Uh, and you got to understand this. Uh, so you mentioned Mike Bickle. So yeah, the more I got to know that man, the more I realized this is a man of God. And so let's say I have a thousand friends or followers. Um, you would think that by becoming friends with Mike Bickle, now I'm, I've got a thousand and one friends. Um, no, uh, I actually go down to about 501 because half of the people that were my friends hate Mike Bickle. And so now they hate me. And so it's like, okay, I lost a bunch of friends. So was it worth it? I go, yeah, because it's right. Mm -hmm. And I don't just ditch someone because that's going to cause my, my following, you know, whatever sure. you want to call it, popular. You got to decide, like, what is right in the eyes of God and not be freaked out by all these other people will leave me. No, if that is a, a daughter or son of God, then I'm going to stand by his or her side and we'll, we'll talk about issues, work it out. But I'm not going to ditch you because I'm afraid that my circle is going to leave me. Um, those are some of the decisions that you're going to have to make as an individual, who you fear and how much you value unity in the body. Um, and those who leave, uh, I mean, they're going to miss out on the power that comes from those of us who are fighting for oneness. And again, mm. I'm not saying we're ignoring uh, holiness and truth. You know, like you started this talk off with explaining what I did in that back room, green room with the band. Like I care yeah. very much about holiness. In fact, I don't want to be on a stage with you because you'll screw everything up if you're not living that holy life. Like I'm still that same guy, but I'm trying to understand where people are coming from and loving them and then confronting things that I see just as they confront me. But in that process, there'll be things said about you, spoken about you. Um, and uh, you got to just deal with it and go, all right, mm. you say what you want, but just be careful when you take the bread in the cup. Um, we need to be careful. Uh, that if we're not discerning the body properly, uh, I don't know, which, which I'm just, I'll just leave it at that. We need mm. to be uh, cautious about this. Mm. I, um, I just want to take, I'm just going to take a moment and then I'll trim this out just to try to discern because um, we're going to wrap up in a bit, but I want to just, one of the things, Francis, right now that I'm feeling is uh, it's hard to find a through line just to make sense of my call as a pastor. Um, I'm making decisions right now in Vancouver about how many people to have in a room because there were intense government regulations. And then now there's vaccine passports for restaurants, but they didn't want to touch religious gatherings. So now there's zero regulations and different provinces in Canada are doing that. And then the response, like we had a service on Sunday, um, reduced capacity, made all these steps. And you've got people saying, why are you reducing capacity? Very critically, other people being like, how dare you invite people to gather? And that's just like, that's the least of it. Like there's, I talked to one brother just recently, he 
he's amazing. He took leadership of a church. He's he's new to pastoral ministry. He's had tons of years in professional world. He took a pay cut to love the church, to help bring leadership. And then now people in the church have been so critical, like, you're not the right guy. And I was like, why would this guy keep going, you know? And um, and then there's there's even way more intense examples of just whether it's criticism or just real sorrow and heartbreak, own loss in the season while trying to lead people through mass scale loss and hopelessness. And I say all that just to sort of say, Francis, like, what's the through line? Like, what's what's the way forward for a pastor saying, I just want to be found faithful for the next 20, 30 years? This is good. I, I, yeah, first, I'm, I'm giving you some highlights and great things that are happening, but also understand, you know, when I talk about befriending one guy and losing these other friends, that's not fun for me. Yeah. Um, you know, I got so sad uh, a couple months ago, just a dear friend that's just like, well, if you're going to be connected with, you know, I mean, actually was Mike Bickle, then we're done. You know, the elder in the church, you know, like, whoa, whoa. Okay. All right. You know, all this stuff and I, I don't even go on the internet anymore. Um, it's hurtful. I mean, I'm human. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so it's just crazy the things people are so quick to say and accuse you of when you've spent the last 30 of your li- years of your life like trying to walk so closely with the Lord and live a life of integrity and, and you just get slammed for something. And 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 I, I'm going to get through. You know, I have all these years uh, under me. So I'm not going down, okay? I, I'll get I'll get down, you know, at, at moments, but I'm, I'm not going down. Okay, but I'm thinking about a lot of you younger leaders um, that don't have that same decades of foundation and now you're getting slammed and the division right now, whatever the issue is, there's so many things to divide the church. Um, it's rough. It is It is super, super hard. Here's something that may help you. Um, you know, I, I grew up in a generation that really defined success by numbers, whether we, we'd say we don't care about numbers, but everyone did. And, but the other day I was reading um, Matthew 17, the transfiguration. And it just, it, it dawned on me. I thought, God, how come you only took Peter, James, and John up there? Hmm. And weren't Peter, James, and John going, Gosh, I wish Philip could see this. Oh, I wish, you know, Judas could see this. Oh, I wish, you know. Why just Peter, James, and John? Um, they were on a mountaintop and they saw his glory. And then I was looking at, at John 13 through 17. And John 13, in the context of communion, Judas leaves And it says he leaves and then Jesus gives this discourse of John 14 to 17, which is the most beautiful, intimate. If I was in that room, just are you 
kidding me, Jesus? I have the Son of God telling me, promising me, I'm going to prepare a place for you. If I, if I was there live listening to that and saying, I'm not going to leave you as orphans, you know, that, that I and the Father are one and I want you guys to be one with us and I'll actually abide in you and you'll abide. I mean, this is the most beautiful discourse and Judas missed it. And... And I'm thinking about the transfiguration and going, whoa, there are, how much would you pay to be on that mountaintop at the transfiguration? How much would you pay to be in that upper room and to hear Jesus say that to your face? How much would you pay to be in that upper room with the 120, uh, when the fire came down from heaven and it's just creating me. That's, that's why at the table, I'm like, this is the highlight. I don't care if there's three of us, if we can experience a transfiguration type of crazy, because this is what's available to us. The Hebrews is not about us having less and less of an experience. It's like, you see what they experience? The New Testament is even more intense. We have greater access and we should be experiencing greater things. And so if it's three of us in a room, this is what I'm after. Mm. Um, if it's a pure group of 10 um, or 11 and some have to leave, if I can hear Jesus and be there with him, I want him. I want that. And, and for us to find a pleasure and a thrill in those times where... I'm not saying it'll ever be painless for people to leave and people that we love to abandon us, but it's about the presence of God. And we need to become people who just long for that and say, mm -hmm. God, I don't care who's with me. If I can be there and you show up and maybe you didn't want those other people there, maybe they would have died. Uh, taking of the bread or the cup today. And it was your grace in their lives that you had them leave. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what you're doing, God. All I know is I'm so hungry for an experience of you. Mm. And I used to get that when I was alone with you. And now I'm realizing I get it in a much bigger dose when I'm actually truly unified with people who are wow. reverent towards you at your table. And so I want that. And I'm just going to have to trust that doing that well is going to be the evangelism. Um, and you look in the context of 1 Corinthians 11 through 14, and it's in that context of a right, uh, you know, a loving, unified table that the spiritual gifts are released. And then you get to the point where unbelievers walk in and suddenly there are true gifts of the spirit happening in unity and they mm -hmm. fall on their faces and go, God is truly among you. And that's what I'm after. Mm -hmm. And I'm telling you, there've been a couple of times at the table where if there was a unbeliever there, they would have gone, okay, God is with these guys because there was power that was released there. Um, Unlike what I've seen in the U.S. Uh, traditionally, like it was, it was real. Mm -hmm. It was him. 
And I just want more of that. And I hope those of you who are watching or listening to this in your heart, you're going, see, that's what I want. Yeah. I want him. I want him. I want him. Do I want thousands of people to hear the gospel and, and, you know, fall on their faces? Absolutely. Absolutely. We all want that. Um, But it starts with us wanting him first. And it's the presence of God that brings people to repentance. Could you pray for us as we wrap up? Yeah. Yes, definitely. Father, I lift up my brothers and sisters who are listening to this. God, as Canada and the general feel of the of the people, it just feels more and more proud like the U.S. and more and more just wanting to be separate from you and your law to create their own way of living. God, may we as believers say, no, we want the opposite. We want more of you. We want more of your presence. Yeah. We don't want to walk away from you and do our own thing. We want to come before Almighty God in unity, in fear, and in anticipation. I pray that the fascination over the table will grip believers in Canada. Mm. I pray that this fascination and expectation at the table would just grip everyone who's listening to this right now going, yes, I want that. I want to enter into the holy places with my people. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Huge thank you to Francis Chan for making time to invest in us through today's conversation. Francis just released a book called Until Unity. I've got it in my hands right now, and I want to just read to you these chapter titles. Listen to these. It's what the Trinity wants. It's what you want. It's what the world needs. It starts with repentance. It comes with maturity. It survives with love. It requires a fight, and it must start small. If that doesn't make you want to buy and read this book, I don't know what will. I'm sure it's available wherever books are sold and online. Hey, next week, we don't have an episode because we're heading back into our bi-weekly rhythm for the rest of the fall. But I want to give you a window into some of the guests we've got coming up ahead. We've got Rich Velotis, Sid Coop, Alan Hirsch, Pete Cesaro, and more. And as we wrap up, I want to say thank you to you, the listener, as always, so grateful for your feedback, your comments, for sharing this podcast, for your encouragement, and the stories we're hearing from you as you're leading churches in our country. We love you all a ton, and bye for now.